Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Woke Blokes podcast. Ryan Hassan here from the Center for Healing, joined as always by Nick Sutherland from MindFit. Nico, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> 10 push-ups yeah. more I, exercise I, I, it's time I, to I, get down and do the push-ups Nick <laughs> that was really good we have professional impersonator <laughs> that was a really good Arnie I know hey, um, I, I, I mindfully said good then because I do need to do more push-ups so mm. I just oh, I well threw done. myself under the bus for those, for those who don't know um, that's a bit of your army background isn't it nick if you have a client who mindlessly answers how you're going and just just says good like on autopilot then uh 10 push-ups is the uh the punishment yeah well good's not a, a feeling it's it's a very i can't really work with good and, and you know we've spoken about it many times before i am genuinely interested to learn how a person is feeling when they come in for a session so i had a, a great example the other day dude came in and just said good did his push-ups and then you know got the, the the pillow with the wheel of emotions on it, and sat there and he said, "I I feel disgust and sad," mm. and I'm like, "Wow, wonderful!" And the session just evolved from that, and it was he left going, "Fuck, that was a good session." And I'm like, "It's because you gave us something to work with at the start of it." So got got very real. You know, just was yeah, actually actually open real and quickly honest. as well. Yeah. We don't have to faff about and, and you know, just we just get it right. How are you feeling? Like, yeah, I'm feeling this. Okay, is that a healthy emotional response to whatever it is that you're experiencing in life? Is this necessary or unnecessary suffering? Um, mm-hmm. No, it's unnecessary. Okay, well, what what's led to that? And then you know, we figured out that he was working way too much. So he's out of balance and neglected stuff. And he was drinking and then he's just, so he's at this end of the spectrum and then he's just taken a few days off and just been watching Netflix and eating crap food. So cause and effect. And we reflected it to him and he left with a plan and, and feeling motivated and getting back in balance. So excellent. It, and it, all, it, all, it all started off with being just honest with our emotional state. That's yeah, but, but but helping him to identify what he was what he was feeling as well. Well, you've got that aspect of it kind of being an automatic social response too, and so you're sending a bit of a different message. Often, when we go through a day, we're not exactly being authentic and present. And when you sort of say, when you reel off good, it's just one of those uh, social norms, and you're not actually being present. You're not. Yeah. You're not feeling your internal also, environment. Uh, it's also a fairly apt response to give out there because because people aren't genuinely asking you how are you feeling. It's it's basically them saying hello now, so you can't genuinely reply. Yeah, you know, I think a non genuine question gets a non genuine answer mm. um, because no, well, you no can try. Knows. You just might get some glazing over. Try it next time. Yeah. Check out oh, here he goes. Here he goes again. How are you doing today? Drama queen. Well, you know, mm, it's been interesting. <laughs> I've been having some uncomfortable sensations. You know, I don't know if there's a cold coming on or might not be the best thing to say during COVID either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hass, who's, who's that speaking? Whose voice is that? Well, this is our special guest today, Dan McLean. Uh, John McLean <laughs> from Die Hard's brother, uh, apparently. 
Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator. I know a man of talents that I I didn't know, and I'm excited to explore them more. Nick, can you can you tell the listeners who who Dan is, and 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 why you've had him on today? You don't know, (laughs) Dan. Dan, who are you really? I better jump. Wow! Oh, going cutting straight to the chase. Who am I really? It's the Advaita Vedanta. I I said an inquiry question. Who are you? Just dwell with it. I sat on the panel for a mental health summit and there's four of us on there. And I was like, all right, let's just start off with who are you? And I, I dived straight into, well, I am just the conscious awareness of my thoughts and feelings <laughs> just, just to take the piss. And then I, I jumped out of it and yeah, they had a chuckle, but one dude thought I was actually being really serious. He's like, oh, we, we're getting a bit too heavy. I'm like, no, no, we're not. We're not getting heavy. <laughs> we're not. So, we're not. It was a deliberate... Um, Dan is Dan is uh, Dan is a friend of a client of mine, um, and I think uh, these two were chatting some time a few months ago, and um, yeah, got to talk about MindFit, I think, and I think it, it piqued Dan's interest, or they seemed to a good synergy, and. And then so Dan and I ended up having a chat and, yeah, just really clicked. Um, and similar to you and I, House, and Shane and I. And, and so, yeah, Dan and I have been chatting weekly about the MindFit methodology and I've sort of been imparting on him the way that we we work here. And the, there's potential for, for Dan in the future to maybe work under the MindFit umbrella, sort of just letting things happen very organically and still exploring what's going on. But um, I love the cut of his jib. Uh, you know, the, the, I love the, the way his mind works and, and what he's studied. He's, he's got, you know, very philosophical in the way that he thinks and lives. And, um, yeah, I just thought he'd be a, a, an amazing mind to explore on the podcast. So I, I, wanted, I wanted to get Hass... Um, meeting of these two minds <laughs> well i feel we're meeting in the middle of my screen on zoom at the minute oh, yeah. well, I'm, I'm already my mind's already blown by the arnie impersonation i've heard that many shit arnie impersonations in my life <laughs> including my own and that was just and mine yeah. and mine is that something you've worked on dan or did it come naturally or oh when i was the boy we all found out <laughs> and we watched commando and i said you need to do it you got to do it properly. You need to listen and pay attention. Nick. <laughs> I'm laughing, Ryan. It's, it's so good. good joke. It's so good. <laughs> do you guys remember, just as a tangent, do you guys, do you guys remember Commando, the bad yeah. guy, Bennett, mm. in Commando? He was an Aussie. You might not really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I remember from that movie, The End, and the him and Bennett are having the big battle at the end. And then he like he th- there's some classic one liners in that movie, uh-huh. but like, like the one uh-huh. where he like he's holding the baddie off the cliff and then just gets the information and drops him. And the girl was like, yeah. "What did you do with him?" He's like, "I let him go." I let him go. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, <laughs> at the end, he like impales Bennett with this, you know, uh, pipe, steamy pipe. Yeah, yeah. but like, where's this steam coming from? Steam's coming off, and he's like, "Let off some steam, Bennett." <laughs> <laughs> totally. 
No, that's pretty good, Ryan. I think you, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Okay, okay, rocking some Arnie, getting there. some Arnie, yeah. Arnie validation. Yeah. So, Dan, you are, you know, clearly we were talking before um, we pressed record and before Nick jumped on, and I was asking how long you'd been in Canada because you're you're living over there in beautiful Canada on the other side of the world, and you said 16 mm-hmm. years, and I was saying how your your accent hasn't really picked up any Canadian; it stayed very, very Aussie. Mm. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, I don't know, it's interesting. Some people seem to lose it and other people don't. I'm certainly in touch with my family a lot, so I get that Aussie infusion, very mm-hmm. cl- close with my family. Um, but I, don't, I guess I don't feel self-conscious at all. Um, mm. I've certainly changed a few words. You know, like if you come over and you say, you know, where's the toilet? Everybody kind of look at you like, oh, my, oh my God. Really? What did you say? What where's the say? toilet? So you say washroom. That's one of the oh, things, and you can't on. say you can't say chuck it in your ute. Uh, nobody knows what you're talking about. It's a truck, and then a big truck's a semi, of course. Right. Uh, so there, so there's those cultural words which I've you know I've compromised on. So you can't say <laughs> I'm going to the shitter. That's not going to work. Yeah, you know, you could rock it. You might get a few shocked in pre- I think if they're shocked, if they're shocked by toilet, they're going to be shocked by shitter. <laughs> Where's the Dunny? The Dunny. Dunny. I wouldn't know. Thunderbox. Uh, Thunderbox. I like that one myself. Thunderbox. It's funny. When I travelled, I, I, so I lived in England for two and a half years. And I came back after one year from a sister's wedding. And I came back with a thicker Australian accent because I was really mm. trying to bloody hold on to it. So I came back sounding a bit like a redneck. And then mm-hmm. uh, the second time I came back because I was working in um, – these pubs called the walkabout and there's a lot of antipodeans there um so there was kiwis aussies and south africans and i came back with a, a heavy kiwi accent so interesting yeah, like uh, yeah sure bro there you go no choice yeah nice and it was just mm-hmm. someone's like have you been to new zealand i'm like no but yeah it was interesting to see how Hey, do you get affected by these things? I reckon yeah, as well, if right. you go somewhere when you're young as well and like, you know, the girls are like, oh, I love your uh, Aussie accent, then you'll, you will go harder with it too. Like you're definitely yeah. not going to lose it <laughs> if there's a chance of getting some girls. Oh, well, me yeah. Aussie accent? Ah, oh, jeez, right. Uh, what, are you, what are you talking about, love? What, what Aussie accent? What are you talking about? <laughs> Come on. I don't have an Aussie accent, don't I? And, uh, crack oh. a can and uh, rip the lid off a few yeah. and see what goes down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, I, I remember mates talking about that when I was younger too. And you gap year. Yeah, rock that Aussie accent hard. Okay, rock UK. Hard. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Dan, t- tell us a bit a bit of oh Nick, did you have a story to tell? I forgot that you had a that you were gonna Yeah, have a yeah. Well uh, so interesting interesting experience, I guess it was. I um I did a so M told me that I've been snoring and holding my breath a bit at night. Um, and so I went to the local sleep clinic and got the uh, all the bells and whistles to go home and, and do an at-home sleep study. So I wired myself up. Um, and they send the, the report off to a GP. Now, uh, you know, I'll, I work in Mornington, but my GP is in Frankston, which is you know, 15 minutes down the road. Um, and so I go to my GP for all my, uh, my sort of army stuff and, and whatnot, but I've got a local GP here just for stuff I don't really need to have a history 
Oh, so I just got him to send it to Mornington GP, and I went in there to to get the results. And he's like, "All right, well, there's a bit of mild mild sleep apnea and mild snoring." I'm like, "Okay." And it's got recommendations. It's got three lines, and and the first one was a very generic line. It was reduce alcohol intake, um, uh, increase exercise, and improve sleep hygiene. Now that's three things that applies to everybody, yeah. Mm-hmm. And but this doctor, he stopped at the first bit and he said, "All right, so what's your alcohol intake?" And I said, "Oh, yesterday I had sort of half a dozen beers and a bottle of wine. Uh, I finished off with a whiskey." And he's like, "Oh, oh, that's 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 not what we advise you know we advise only two standard drinks per day with with some alcohol free days thrown in there and i'm like yeah, yeah i get that and he's like so um you know why were you drinking that much i'm like oh it was a bit of a heavy day you know it was a anzac day ex-army uh, it's a bit of a you know but the footy was also on i'm an essendon supporter so um you know it's a big day and yeah just mixed emotions oh, all right so have you got a... anyway he goes, I want to do an anxiety and depression test on you. And I just went, ooh, how interesting. <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to go down this rabbit hole and see where we end up. I had no expectations. I kept an open mind. And within 10 minutes, he was trying to get me on antidepressants. Mm. What? And I said to him, I, I appreciate you know, where you're coming from, but I'm not taking any medication. And he said, well, if you're not going to um, take my help, he goes, I don't think, I think you might need to find another doctor. He fired me. And I went, you don't <laughs> fire me. I fire you, pal. <laughs> unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. That is unbelievable. So he didn't ask anything about my current life situation he didn't ask about work he didn't know that you know we just moved in sort of in the last six months into a new house with a partner and had two kids and you know works all up in the air and uh, not up in the air but you know shane's sort of stuff's going on and he didn't ask any there's no context for any of this it wow. was just medicate and i was like <gasps> you're part of that oh, medicate or medicate or get out um, yeah. it, it's interesting as well because I think what happens when people are in our line of work and, you know, people listen to the show, you know, we're very honest with our emotional states and what's going on. When you get doctors and people in that system where things are kind of a checkbox kind of thing mm-hmm. for, for people that are at risk, when you've got people who are honest, it because here's an example. When, when um, Tommy was born and we had the, these maternal health care visits, you know, and so we'd have to go and they'd weigh him and measure him and make sure he's growing correctly and that kind of shit. And um, I went with Mel and they asked her, she, the lady asked her some questions and um, about, and it's to do with like postnatal depression. And here's the thing, like Mel's, she definitely did not have postnatal depression. If anyone did, I did, but she did. <laughs> but, but, but me and Mel like, are super honest with this stuff because um, Dan, Mel, my partner's a therapist as well. And um, mm. so she went through, this lady just went through a questionnaire and Mel was just completely honest because I'm like questions were like, you know, have you ever thought about, you know, just leaving him and walking out or leaving the house? And she's like, yeah. And here's the thing. 
every mother and father have that thought, but there's only a certain subset of the population that will admit to having that thought. And this is what a but lot of these questionnaires certain, are based on. There's a certain amount of the population that will act on that thought as well. Exactly, exactly. So, if, so that's, that's seen as a, a red flag, I suppose, in one of the questionnaires. And it's the same questionnaires for anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, all that kind of stuff. And um, so Mel mm-hmm. answered this questionnaire and then the lady's like, oh, we need to, you know, you need to be speaking to a doctor. And, and yes, started bringing up medication and Mel just laughed and we walked out. <laughs> but like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is what happens. Yeah. If someone is actually really honest and open, it puts up red flags on these really black and white check boxes that these doctors and mm-hmm. people have. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, what, what do I do here? And then unfortunately, medication yeah. is the, 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 the first thing that's thrown at people. Well, this we is, could almost do with a new... To- we no, can always do with a, a new position now, which is like a medical advocate, you know, kind of like a legal advocate or a subsection uh, because, because this is going on and because people feel like you're either dealing directly with the system or, or you're out of it and you've either got to choose a camp, you've either got to be, oh, I'm very mainstream, so I need to listen to the letter what my doctor says or I'm not that and I've got to be alternative and I've got to get, uh, you know, practice, uh, go to Qigong and, and get Chinese medicine and I've got to either opt in or out. And um, I think there's a lot of areas like that that you have got gaps for services. And so um, certainly medical lines getting second opinions um, and being able to say, okay, somebody who doesn't have any vested interest I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I've seen some shocking programs about in uh, America how um, pharmaceutical companies can uh, actually incentivize their products for doctors. Yeah, which yeah, doesn't do seem at all. So they, they get a, they get a kickback, and the more yeah. you prescribe, the it's, more it's, you... it's 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 a very underhanded because it's it's not overtly like, hey, here is X amount of dollars for this. It's like, well, you know, the, the nice, good-looking um, sales rep for the pharmaceutical company will come by, take them out to very expensive dinners, wine and dine them, you know, all these experiences and yeah. be like, oh, by the way, it might be good for you to be, be, be moving a lot of this product. So it can be very underhanded. That being said, like, like any field, it's like therapists or plumbers or electrician, there's good and bad. Yeah. But it, Nick, it, yeah. like, it scares the shit out of me and I hate hearing that that someone is just without asking anything about all these external factors of your life, just goes, bang, here's medication. Well, this is why I wanted mm-hmm. to share the story because I want listeners to understand that these doctors are meant to work for you. You're the one in charge. You're, they're just part of, they're mm-hmm. meant to perform part of your support network. I, I immediately asked him for um, information on the drug that he was trying to prescribe me. He couldn't provide it to me. So I went next door to the pharmacy and got them to, to, to give me, provide some. And, uh, yeah, because I said to him, you know, I, I don't want to take it because I don't want, I want to feel what I'm feeling. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and I don't want the side effects. He goes, no, well, there's no side effects with this one. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. I'm like, that's, that's so <laughs> much crap. So much crap. So <laughs> I, I, stood, I stood my ground and stayed in my power. And I, I, I said, no, you're wrong. I, so many people fall into the white coat syndrome. And, mm-hmm. just, you know, because cause you've got this bit of paper on the wall said you've studied and whatever. It doesn't mean he's an expert 
Um, mm. So we do get to challenge, we do get to question, and I think we as a public need to take more ownership over our health and well-being. Absolutely. And start asking these questions and start challenging, start saying, oh, I, I disagree with you. Well, you are the specialist of your own life. You know, you're yeah. the only expert on exactly what's happening for you internally and externally. And so you really have to, you know, uh, create your own sounding board and and understand that nobody knows exactly what's happening for you and to a certain degree we're all in a process of undying us understanding ourselves mm, yeah, um, totally. i wanted to bring up too nick when you talked about you know the depression i'm not sure if you boys have read uh, lost connections uh by johan hari it's a great reader um and he that's a he's a guy who's um, struggled with depression his whole life and then delved into uh, the medications and wanted to, uh, and exactly what you're talking about, wanted to educate himself, wanted to become yeah. the expert. And what he found was, you know, quite shocking. Um, yeah. And I'm certainly uh, not an expert to tell anybody what they should be doing, but I think it's a great, a great book to listen to for those people are perhaps dealing with anxiety and depression, but also for anybody who's wanting to understand how the system can kind of work and you can get a bit lost in it and you can not feel like you have those options that you exercise, Nick. Hmm. I highly well, recommend that. We've, spoke, we've spoken about Johan Hari before, his TED Talk, you know, everything we think we know about addiction is wrong. And yeah, we're, we're both big fans of his work. But I wanted to come back to something you said about a, an advocate and the fact that we may potentially need an advocate for a healthcare system is a big red flag on its own. Um, you know, we need someone Absolutely. to help us. Get, we need someone help us get help. Like, fuck me, what a world we live mm -hmm. in. But I've got a client at the moment who is actually creating a, uh, a website and a portal and a whole business around this. So people go to her and say, this is what's going on. And so she's going to have a database of, you know, holistic or integrated or whatever, or clinical. Or, or, and so she's going to have this, this place where people can go and sort of like a menu and go, oh, well, this, this, I'm going to try this and try this and try this. I'm not just going to go to one and subscribe wholly to what they're saying. I'm actually going to feel my way through this. And I think it's a, a, a great shift in the system because so many people, as you said, get lost in it, feel very insecure they feel inferior to the doctors um mm -hmm. and yeah i think anything we can do to help people to help themselves is very important yeah yeah it's so true yeah. just and even if the system is just set up in a way like you know if you look at it from an i suppose a, an empathy point of view even for the doctors it's like i've got 10 minutes <laughs> to sit down with a person yeah. oh yeah and, and, and seven, I, seven and, minutes seven and, and and i need to i feel like I need to deliver some sort of result in that yeah. seven mm -hmm. minutes. And if you're thinking about something as, as complex as, you know, depression, anxiety, just distressful periods in people's lives to think that, you know, you, you actually can't possibly start to unravel that in seven minutes. So it's like, mm -hmm. well, I want this person to walk away with something. Well, I've got this pill. So it's kind of, that's the that, damned that, if they do, do the damned if they don't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a big, a big focus of my work lately is, and it's up on the whiteboard has been, I'm trying to teach people not to have an aversion to these unpleasant emotions or, mm -hmm. or you know, what we call in here suffering. So you've got mental health spectrum, you've got pleasant 
emotions unpleasant and we've spoken about how there's no such thing as a good or bad or a positive or negative emotion they're all equally as important um the pleasant ones are like happiness and joy and peace and calm the unpleasant ones are anger guilt depression anxiety you know so it's funny prescribing or, or, or labeling or diagnosing someone with depression or anxiety because every single person will experience it but a question I've been asking clients lately is, is what you're experiencing a healthy emotional response? Mm. And it's catching so many people off guard. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? I'm feeling sad. I don't want to be feeling this way. I'm feeling angry. I shouldn't be feeling angry. I'm like, mm-hmm. I get where you're coming from. But if, if, if someone's just done something, and we've spoken about it a lot before in the past, has, you know, if you if you stub your toe, you're going to have a little bit of a flare-up. If you then pick up whatever stub your toe and throw it through the window and then burn your house down, that's not a healthy emotional response that's in proportion to what you're experiencing. So we, we need to move away, I think, away from it's bad if I'm feeling anger or depression or anxiety and, and understanding Absolutely. that mm. you know, if you have a big fight with your partner, an appropriate response is to feel sad. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, how are you feeling? You say sad. That doesn't mean you need to medicate that feeling because it's important. It needs to come, yeah. but then it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine Nick, if everyone was turning up and said, um, you said, what's happening? I feel completely numb. I don't feel yeah. any spectrum of emotions. Well, here's a pill. You know, <laughs> right. So you can feel something. That's yeah. not what we want. We want to remain human. We want to remain in touch with our emotions. Absolutely. Yeah. Be a huge yeah. issue if we weren't. Absolutely. And I think interesting what you said there, Nick, because um, I believe actually what we talk about depression, there can be a number of different reasons, you know, for that, obviously. And one of them that we had spoke, spoken about for years is this uh, grieving of a life that I feel like I should be living. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and then um, it was kind of interesting that I, I read it in many places, including Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, actually, that when doctors were first diagnosing depression, once again, it was this kind of checklist. And so if you check, you know, six out, of, I can't remember, six out of the 10 boxes or something, then you can say, yes, you've got depression. What treatment are we going to use? And then a lot of the clinicians were going back to the people who created the DSM, which is a diagnostic and statistic manual list of mental illness and said, look, we're getting um, a lot of people who are a bit confused. So people who are going through grief, so they've lost someone close to them, they're coming in with the exact same symptoms as depression. And so the DSM looked at that. And so they changed the criteria to say, if you have been feeling any of the following for more than two weeks. So it's kind of like, you know, mm. your, your, your mm. husband or wife dies. If you're not over it in fucking two weeks, you've got depression and we're going to treat you. But it was the exact <laughs> same I- symptoms. Can I get your thoughts on this, fellas? Uh, you know, we, we talk about anger, guilt, depression, anxiety, and I'm saying to people, I don't think they're they're, they're feelings. Uh, anger is more a feeling of frustration, uh, uh, mm. which which we label as anger. Depression is feeling hopeless or helpless. Anxiety is living in fear. Guilt is sort of feeling ashamed or embarrassed. So I don't think those labels are really appropriate labels either. Like if the doctor said, mm. how are you feeling? You said frustrated, you know, oh, okay, well, what's what's going on with you? Why are you frustrated? Oh, because well, this isn't happening. Okay, so you're not getting what you want. You know, we can start looking at distortions. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you walk in there, feeling, I'm just feeling a bit hopeless at the moment, just a bit helpless, a bit lost. I'm, I'm sort of, mm. you know, 
just just turning the, the wheels over. And then, then they're like, okay, so what are you doing yeah. about it? We're very quick just to – what are your thoughts on that? What do you think, Dan? Well, certainly what I, what I find, I, I like to personally take it back even a level further um, like what you're saying, we, we create these labels, and I guess this comes from a, a bit of a Buddhist meditation bent, where I like to go back to the sensations, because when you say, how are you feeling, and what you do when you ask the mind why, it is a meaning-making, answer-giving machine. That's what it does. So you ask it why, which isn't always the most pertinent thing to ask it, it'll start plucking from the environment it'll say why am i feeling bad and it'll just say here here's everything you could be upset about right now and then depending on what we're what we feel most attuned to we say oh that's what it is oh that's what it could be and we could we maybe weren't even thinking about any of those things but when i say how am i feeling and perhaps nick as you said maybe there's what you might have said before anger and then you say, oh, wait a minute, what am I feeling? I'm feeling heat. I'm feeling constriction in my chest. You know, I'm feeling uh, a buzzing in my hands. I'm feeling a clenching. I'm, I'm feeling a, a racing heart. I'm feeling a contraction. And as soon as we start to do this, you're not, you're not trying to answer a, why am I feeling this or exactly what is a label. It simply brings you back to this fundamental level where you can simply say, oh, these are the sensations that I'm having. And it's not necessarily that that should be um, how you're, you know, constantly responding to the world. It's not like you can be in a meeting and something happened poorly and, and you just kind of blank out and you go into this um, kind of internal state where you're just touching on all your sensations. But if you are doing that in a practice, in your, if you're doing it in a daily sit or you're doing it having check-ins with yourself throughout the day, then it becomes more and more easy for you to just dwell in that place of I'm not labeling, I'm not creating judgments about my own uh, feelings, but I'm simply aware of these sensations and I'm able to embrace them. But I'm also not having an aversion to those sensations mm. either, which so many people are creating. They don't want to feel these unpleasant sensations. So they determine that that is a problem that i'm feeling this way when as i alluded to earlier it's it's it could be you know a, a racing heart could be a very appropriate emotional response mm -hmm. to whatever well, i had this conversation with one of my um with my dear fiance the other day and um and i expressed that my understanding of of you know you mentioned nick's suffering part of my understanding of suffering is just indicative of being a biological um, entity in a contingent world, meaning a changing world in which we have threats. Yeah, things can go wrong for us. Things can go wrong in the world. And a lot of pe people feel like, oh, this kind of something's wrong. Some of what they talk about in anxiety and depression, there's something wrong that's happening. I'm threatened. Uh, I'm not fully secure. Where, of course, Buddhism teaches us everything's changing all the time the you know but security the is of a lot of the source of a lot of that suffering is their attachments to thinking this should happen which knows a, a, a oh. critical thinking error so things aren't going wrong things are just 
going as they go. And if a person has an attachment to wanting it or receiving or getting it and they don't, then it becomes wrong. And so that's, that's yeah. what we're calling and that it's, unnecessary and that it's, suffering. Yeah, and that it's natural. It's natural yeah. to feel feelings. It's natural to have emotions, to respond to stimulus in our environment and even just have a baseline feeling of I'm mortal. You know, this this being will die at some point. I am vulnerable. <laughs> that whole sto the whole stoicism thing of like I was dropping M's daughter off at school this morning, seventeen year old, and um, yeah, we were talking about memento mori, and I was explaining to her, you know, why it's important to meditate on our death because so many people take the life for granted or they live in fear of dying. So yeah. either or either, you, you're not you're not truly present to to experience life as it is. I was, I was quite surprised because my parents are very open. They're very beautiful. I have a great relationship with both of them. And my mum, I definitely get, you know, my philosophical and my uh, psychological bent from both of them. And I said to my mum, who's very youthful and very vigorous and just retired at, at the age of 70. And, and I spoke, I was talking about stoicism with her, which she's always very interested and she's an avid reader. She was an English literature teacher. And, um, and I told her, you know, I've been meditating on, on my own death, you know, and the fact this entity will come to an end. I said, you know, she felt like she said, oh, all these new chapters are happening in my life and I'm changing and all this. And I said, this could be a practice, mum, that you'd be interested in. And she said, mm, maybe a bit later. You know? <laughs> and I thought, oh, God bless you. So beautiful. That is beautiful. Um, <laughs> you know, here am I at 40 saying, hmm, good practice. You know, really helpful. <laughs> helpful for everybody. Um, and mum at 70 yeah, years. Well, like, yeah, maybe later. Maybe later. Yeah, I'll get I around just, to I, that at some point. I just spoke to, I just finished with a client before jumping on this and, and, she was speaking about feeling a bit flat and it turns out she's out of balance. She's studying too much. And one of her tendencies is to, to get consumed by things. She loves to understand deeply to that nth degree, um, which can take her out of balance. And uh, we, we started talking a bit philosophically and, and I said to her, a, a gift I want to give myself, you know, hopefully if I'm on a deathbed or if, if I'm present for the last minute of my life is the gift of looking back without any regrets and has we did a whole podcast on it, but, but, but to look back and, and just go, yeah, I, I, I lived life on my terms and in the way that I wanted to, I didn't let the world harden me. I didn't let people dictate mm. me or, or create any uncertainty within myself. You know, I, I, I lived by and large you know, on, on my terms and in my way. And that's a gift I want to give myself. And she's like, Wow, that sounds cool. Because it turns out she doesn't take herself out on any dates. She doesn't, you know, mm. she feels guilty about ha having me time. And I said, you know, Ryan and I are big advocates of going bush for three or four days, just mm -hmm. and leaving everything behind because it's a healthy practice. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And then that, yeah, we can perhaps meditate on our death. Or <laughs> it's funny how many people think that that's a morbid thing to do. You think about your death. I'm like, no, I'm just thinking about my life. And accepting mm -hmm. that death is a part of that life. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh, you sound like a weirdo, man. 
So it's, <laughs> it's it's the one certainty that we have in this life that, that that's we're going to die, and so I think contemplating that's so important. And you know, Michael Singer mm. says we, we we have an association that death's going to take something away, so it's going to take away mm. my life when that time comes. But if you contemplate death, you realize death gives to you every single day, because mm, yeah. you know, if you know that you're going to die and it can happen at any time, then you can live life more fully. Because um, you know, people mm-hmm. talk. I hear like you know these you know, scientists who are into longevity and they're like, you know, aging is something that we can avoid and we can live for mm. hundreds of years. I'm like, fuck that. I'm, I'm really ready to go now. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'm really, yeah. when the time yeah. comes, like, you know, mm-hmm. human, you know, I'm turning left instead of right. I don't want to <laughs> oh, yeah. near that thing. Well, a great contemplation in movie form was uh, The Fountain with uh, Hugh Jackman years ago. I don't know if you guys saw that one. Didn't see that no. one. Great. Oh, yeah. It's called The Fountain. And his wife is, oh, spoiler alert, <laughs> his wife's dying of cancer. You find out. I was going to watch it this day. afternoon, Dan. Oh, no. Just destroyed it, right? I'm going to message Melissa. Dan. Take back The Fountain, <laughs> the video shop. <laughs> Dan spoiled it. Um, and uh, his wife is dying of cancer. And he's, of course, in the position. Um, the uncomfortable position of do, been doing research on cancer, how to cure cancer. And of course, um, his whole movement through the movie is coming to terms or not coming to terms, either way he looks at it, uh, with his wife's death um, or imminent death. And um, the fact that he's racing to kind of find a cure and he explicitly says in a few moments like, uh, death is a disease and we can cure it. Oh. And that's, you know, that's a great uh, encapsulation of kind of the Western culture's uh, viewpoint. Of, it sounds like the of, ego. Of death and medicine. Oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, there's all there's all this interweaving philosophy and all this other stuff. I think you'd really enjoy it, Nick. There's a lot to it. Mm. Mm, I'm on to it. Now that I know the ending, um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> did I say it's, the it's, 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 He didn't say the ending. I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. No, it's it's <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a, it triggers people death because everyone is so mm. afraid of it. And, you know, you can here's one for you, Dan. You can go into well, are we actually alive right now, or you know, is death actually better than life, and who knows, and all that sort mm. of shit. But mm. are, are we in a uh, simulation? Yeah, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, oh, don't get me we... started, Ryan. <laughs> I want to start you. It's on. We've ripped him up. Um, yeah. are, we, are we in you know, a, a, a constant cycle of, of experiences that we call life and, and death and samsara and all that sort of stuff? So the reality mm-hmm. is we don't know, but if we live in fear of losing everything that we have that we, we we think we possess all this stuff we think we we've got this illusion of i own my home it's such mm-hmm. a weird mm-hmm. thing for me to get my head around i don't own my home i yeah I, 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 I just i can't but i have mm-hmm. a, a bit of paper that says that this little bit of land is mine and the structure yeah. that's on it is mine. And, and, and i'm using this stuff called money 
to that mm. I don't actually own or, or have. Mm -hmm. The bank has it, but is it mine or theirs? And, and so, mm -hmm. that has so, that has no real value except the belief that the collective has in it. It's so mm -hmm. absurd. And yeah. Dan, I can see Dan wants to go. What do you, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, it all comes back to the appearance of the self, doesn't it? You know, and I'm yeah. sure you've yeah. you've been delving into Nick, yeah. uh, the nature of the self. Uh, through Buddhism or through Stoicism doesn't do it so much. Nah. But of course, even if you're not into even without going too far down the rabbit hole, even if you don't want to delve into, oh, is this all an illusion? Simply the fact that where did the self and the appearance of your thoughts and your responses come from? Is the Nick, is the inherent Nick that you are now, was it there? at birth or the fact that you've experienced all this conditioning and all the things that you've that you've experienced through your life is creating conditioned responses and what this does well, we talk to clients about that all the time and it's you mm -hmm. know what happens to us in childhood isn't our fault but it is our responsibility to overcome it so so mm -hmm. much of my work is literally unconditioning people and helping mm -hmm. them you know we, we, we separate who i am to how I operate. And mm -hmm. so we don't want to change who you are. You know, you're probably a very lovely person. If, if at the end of the day, all said and done, people would say, yeah, he's kind, caring, thoughtful, funny, considerate, blah, blah, blah. But how we operate tends to override that and, and doesn't allow our true authentic self to be on display very much because we're so heightened. We're in such a state of neurosis um, that we're speaking from our our emotions far too much. We're, mm -hmm. we're speaking from anger or guilt or um, mm -hmm. you know, anxiety or depression. So a big part of, I, I feel, what we could all do as a collective, you know, uh, individually and, and, and a bigger picture collective, is to start, st stop and turn around and, and ask those questions to ourselves. Is this me? Is this authentic to who I am? What I am doing right now? Is, is this mm -hmm. a conscious, considered, deliberate, mindful choice? Or is this just my autopilot, my patterns, my behaviors? And, and how is mm -hmm. that working for me these days? What if, mm -hmm. what if, what if that decision to use, uh, make a mindful choice, what if that is an automatic reaction too? And do you believe in free will? Oh, we're onto Ooh. determinism and free will. Let's do this. Oh, popcorn <laughs> goes in for it. Um, who is there to have free will, right? Yeah, good point. Yeah, right. So yeah. this is what I. This is why I always come back to the appearance of the self, and which is the teaching of no self emptiness, which is absolutely not something that you just file away in your intellectual box and say, "Oh, I contemplated all that." Oh, I understand, you know, uh, independent arising, independent arising. Hmm. Yeah, I get all that. And I file it away neatly in my, yeah, I guess the self is not real. This is not, this is not how it works. So free will would start with the fact of who has free will. And when you look into the nature of self, I would say it's ultimately empty, which is pretty much, you know, unfortunately parity a Buddhist idea, but I would say that fundamental reality, Advaita Vedanta says, 
not one, not two substances, one substance, not two. And this is, this is talking about a unified field in which there is no difference between you or I, that everything is appearances. And this is what absolutely gets me going. And no, no polarity in that field. Yeah, mm. there's no polarity. If you guys want a, a book to rock your socks off, um, oh, it's from David Cass. Let me just make sure I've got the title right of this. It's just, it, it's just profound. And it comes, it's in the tradition of um, Ramana Maharishi and Nisargadatta Maharaj. And if those kind of big names ski, this is the perfect book for you. It's called Perfect Brilliant Stillness. Perfect so Brilliant Stillness. Perfect Brilliant Stillness. And this is just a down-to-earth guy who had this self exploding experience and it you know and it happens to people and um yeah it's it's just amazing and it's profound and if you i'm I'm exercising free will sorry to interrupt i'm exercising free will and I'm, i'm choosing not to not to go into that in this lifetime i i i so the, uh, body I see all the, for, the, and, the body's out for path. Yeah, I, 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 and in this, I, I, I truly believe it all exists and everything. And but I, I kind of like my life as it is. I like being connected. You know, you look at the masters and everything, and, mm-hmm. and the monks and all mm-hmm. that. They don't have jobs and, and mortgages and partners and kids mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. So they're, they're mm-hmm. so focused on being empty that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and being nothing. That... I, I personally don't think those things are mutually exclusive. And if you're interested in that book, um, he was a carpenter for, for 20 years and, and then he had his experience, which is not an experience, to put it one way, and he went back to being a carpenter. He said this whole idea, who said you can't have an awakening experience mm. and... Um, and not work a job. Who said other people had to pay for you? Who said that anybody wants to hear this teaching anyway? Mm. It's a very contrarian um, attitude about it, and you might find it quite um, quite spicy. You might you might be able to get your teeth <laughs> spicy into it. You might, yeah, you might enjoy it. You might be able to <laughs> savor this. You well, know, I not love going it. I love anything that piques my interest and, and that, that mm. stimulates my mind. And, and I love the, mm. listening to Ram Das and just sitting there with an open mind. And I've got no idea if what he's talking about is, is mm. true or not true or exists or doesn't exist mm-hmm. or anything. But I love entertaining all of this stuff. And, and it does resonate. And um, I'm not in a, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not in a rush to go down that path. I'm just, you know, I'm and just, all And all power to you. Nobody said you have to do anything. No, they you know, didn't. Nature never nothing. rushes you and everything is accomplished. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I think I think it's very easy to go down these routes and um, and and feel like um, you have to become evangelistic. In fact, it's you know, it's a psychological effect that I've heard. And it's one of the reasons why you shouldn't, you know, your friends uh, lost lots of weight and they've gone on a specific diet and all of this sort of stuff. And of course they will tell you that this diet changed their life and that's wonderful. And that, but that doesn't mean that 
the what they did was right for you. Mm. And and so so we we often feel that our own experiences that that it imbues us with this feeling of that we have we have a little bit of truth, you know, that we've cornered some truth that's got to be true for everybody else. It's a and subjective it's the, truth that we can fall into the yeah. trap of claiming as objective truth. Absolutely. And so that's why it's important too that, that you know, all of these things about freedom of speech and, and the right to be who you are and experience things as you want, there is nothing wrong with disagreeing and having different views. In fact, it makes it such a beautiful world and it's so important yeah. to um, enjoy everybody else's views. It's one and, of my favourite quotes by Voltaire. He says, I, I disagree wholeheartedly with what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. And that's where we're, we've, fall, we've fallen into the trap in this social media world where, you know, we, we feel like if I disagree with someone, then they're not in my tribe, you know, or, or right. I'll, I'll hate that person because I don't agree. And it's like, you know, I disagree with a bunch of my friends about different stuff, but we still love each other. And I wish more yeah. of the world could understand that. But unfortunately, a lot, very of, healthy. a lot of... Well, for me, it just comes down to respect. You know, get the, mm. the, the ego will come out and say, no, I'm right and you're wrong goes into that binary thinking where i think if we can surrender the ego a bit more and just and just okay i, I respect yeah that you're a person you have views and thoughts and opinions and a mind mm -hmm. and and that's great and, and you know in fact it's it's a healthy for us all to have so much mm -hmm. diversity yeah. um mm -hmm. i don't want to live in a world where there's seven billion nicks i'd yeah. mm -hmm. go mad so you know? I. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's well, just about that I'd have 7 billion people who beat me at fucking golf. It'd be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be able to win against anyone. <laughs> well, it all comes down to these paradigms that, that, that work well up to a certain point, but we have to be aware that there are constructs. You know, these, these materialistic constructs, which say, you know, if you want to get a deal uh, for somebody to to manufacture your product or to, to give you investment backing, then you need to be saying this is the best possible thing, you know, that they could possibly back. And so it drives some of those polarised and, um, you know, uh, those opinions that it's got to be, you know, the best or it's the worst, you know, or this has to win over this. Um, and so we get, we get stuck in that way of thinking and we forget, of course, there's nuance. Of course, there's mystery. Of well, course. that's where we get out of out of that binary thinking into spectrum thinking. And the things are just different. Yeah. You know, there's yes. no good or bad or right or wrong or better or worse. Things are just different. And this will do that. And this will do that. So if we can sit in in, in that mind space, it, it's just so much life's so mm -hmm. much easier. And I'm really attracted to simplicity. Mm -hmm. I'm really attracted to. You know, I talk to clients about how I'm not trying to help clients reach enlightenment. I'm just trying to reduce unnecessary suffering. And all we're using, like Buddhism, you, know, you can dive so deeply into that rabbit hole. All I'm using is two philosophies. The, mm -hmm. the source of all suffering is attachment and ignorance, and that the law of nature is that everything's impermanent. And just from those two very simple truths, so much can come from them and make people's lives or help people to live um, uh, a much more liberated life. Mm -hmm. simple, simple's better. Absolutely. So things are complex enough as it is. So I think simple's much better. Mm. I like to look at other people and, and have the phrase in my mind, you know, that's 
that's simply me living a different life. You know, I've, I've mm. got the belief that, you know, we're all tiny fractions of the, the universal consciousness or God or whatever you want to call it, that we're all single mm. droplets out of the one ocean. So whenever I'm mm. getting feeling like I want to fight back at someone who disagrees with me, I've just got to say, that's just me. Like I'm look, I could be looking in the mirror, you know, we're all brothers mm. and sisters on this journey. Yeah. Beautiful. Well said. And uh, when you were talking, Nick, before about, um, you know, simplicity and just being open and you're thinking uh, you might like, uh, there's a book from Stephen Batchelor called, I think it's called The, F- the Faith to Doubt. And it's, it's about how, you know, we really try to, the, the mind tries to take out all doubt. Um, you know, doubts about things is seen as the enemy. Whereas uh, doubting things or having an open mind and not feeling like uh, you're under threat by ideas other than your own is a very nice kind of open way and you can bring it. It's a san, which is Korean uh, Zen Buddhism. It's a, it's a practice uh, which they use these terms that are kind of like uh, koans in Zen. They're called wadu and and they have you doubting things like just asking open questions like what, what is this? What is this that I'm experiencing? But you're trying to ask those in an open state uh, where you're not looking for an answer. Uh, you're looking for openness in your. It's like the, mm-hmm. well, oh, yeah, what is the sound of one you. hand clapping? That kind of question. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Always reminds me of Bart Simpson going, yeah yeah Uh, a a practice so a practice i started ages ago and and now has become ingrained i suppose i've conditioned myself with is is just to wake up and and think my first thought for the day now it's an unconscious process but is i wonder what today will bring and so Mm. that that immediately opens my mind and the spaces I've been into, you know, with my mental health um, and, and mental illness, uh, I now understand the nature of my mind and I understand what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Um, like my client earlier today, I, my mind has a tendency to within my nature to go very deeply into things. So balance for me is a word that I keep pinned up in my mind. Um, I need to temper temper my you know double-edged swords my my, you know, my my superpower becomes my achilles heel so mm-hmm. i love the philosophy i love absorbing all that stuff but if i go too deeply into it um i go past a healthy point then it becomes consuming then i'm out of balance so Everything mm-hmm. for me just comes back to being in balance and keeping things simple and, and just mm-hmm. keeping my mind open. And, and I love bathing in you know, the fact that I am ignorant. I am incompetent. I am mediocre to some degree. And, and that keeps my ego in check. And mm-hmm. um, Bathing in our mediocrity. That, but, <laughs> yeah, and, and, but we are. And, and, and so that, 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 that system works for me. And that, that I've developed that system, I guess, the way of living mm. through trial and error. And, it it um, also relates back to what Dan was saying earlier. Like, I love that as well. I love that phrase. You, you've mentioned it before on the show. Like, I wonder what today will bring. Because that's so opening. And a lot of people wake up in the morning with the idea. And Dan was talking earlier about how our mind is answering questions. 
yeah and it's trying to work out what's important and the reticular activating system part of our brain is what filters out most information based on the questions we ask so when people wake up in the morning go uh what's gonna go wrong today the brain goes, ah, mm. oh, we're looking for what's wrong today. Okay. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and guess what? It will find what's wrong because there's just as much going mm-hmm. wrong as is going right. But if I'm looking for what's wrong, my brain will find that for me. And then it becomes mm-hmm. a, a self-perpetuating cycle because I'm like, what's going to go wrong today? Then the brain shows you 10 things and you're like, I knew it. Things were going to go wrong. And then we start the next day the same instead of saying something so opening like Nick and just saying, I wonder what today will bring. It's curious. But it's not, mm-hmm. even, it's, not, it's not even looking for what's right or wrong. It's go back to Buddhism. It's 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 the attachments. Uh, I have a desire for this to happen. If that doesn't happen, then I determine that that is wrong, and then I'm going to go into suffering and have have an adult tantrum, and then I'm going to project that onto people around me. And so, yeah, it's it's mm. it's more a case of once again, it always comes back to I'm, uh, my life's not perfect. Things aren't going my way. I'm outsourcing my happiness. I'm I'm getting, you know, and basically people are waking up going right. I hope today. I get what I want and everything goes my way and I've got that getting what I want happy um, mm. instead of just being mm. inherently happy and just allowing people to be and allowing the world to be and allow the ebb and flow of the universe to occur and just, just mm. sitting in wonderment and looking at it and just appreciating the beauty of it all and going, mm. this is so cool. Look at that happening. Look at that happening. And, and mm-hmm. just fucking... John Lennon, let it be. Well, that's conditional happiness, isn't it? As opposed to unconditional. Mm. There's a saying that says anything that happens for a reason won't stay because the reason won't stay. It's like like Jesus said, the peace that path us all understanding was just the peace that arisen. There was nothing that happened that caused peace. Peace was just oozing out of him. And Mm -hmm. that's the same. Like I'm just, I'm unconditionally going to accept what's happening instead of saying, well, these 10 things need to happen and these 10 things don't need to happen and then I'll be okay because we'll never be okay mm-hmm. for long. You kicked <laughs> us off, Dan. You started. You went hard. We're just trying to keep up. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we got some T-shirts made up for work and on the back of it, it says unreasonably happy since 2009. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. and, and it confuses the fuck out of people because they're like, what do you mean? And they don't understand that I'm a quite a literal fellow and it means there's literally no reason for my happiness. It's just mm-hmm. I'm choosing to be happy and things will come and things will go and things will stay and mm-hmm. things will change and mm-hmm. it's, it's all good. You know? It's kind of, it reminds me, I get, I get like the picture, you know, where someone is just unreasonably happy and then other people who obviously aren't, I'm like, what are you so happy for? Yeah, and it's like there, there's got to be a reason. Uh, they want to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe they want yeah. it for themselves. Like, Why are you so happy? And it's good just to be able to go, mm-hmm. there's no reason. Like me and Mel well, say to I, each other all the time, you know how someone, people, like partners will say, I love you because. Like we just yeah. love saying, babe, I love you for no reason. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, what I, I guess what I'm actually saying is I'm just content. I'm content with the fact that I'm ignorant, incompetent, mediocre. I'm content with the fact that things won't always go my way. I'm content with I won't mm-hmm. always get what I want. I'm, I'm content in, in the, the understanding the nature of who I am and I have my strengths and my weaknesses, my flaws um, mm-hmm. you know, are, are, are very evident, but I, d- I don't sit in judgment of myself uh, and, mm-hmm. and determine that I'm a good or a bad person or, or what I'm doing is right or wrong i just mm. you know i love the expression that understanding is the cornerstone to love and so you know i understand my nature and and i'm wholeheartedly accepting of that 
and I love myself unconditionally and I'm very content with who I am. But I also realize that as a part of nature, I am also going to grow. Um, it's, it's just I'm given. sorry. I just I had, so, the, I, had, I had the visual of you just saying what you said, that whole thing to the doctor. And then he's like, just take these fucking pills, mate. Can you go away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, he wouldn't call for a straitjacket. <laughs> this, mm-hmm. this guy's in this guy's a neurosis and, and what you're saying before about people who, who can't understand you're happy it's like people who can't hear the music and see you dance think that you're mad mm-hmm. no pe- mm-hmm. people people don't understand that we can be so easily happy when we just let go and surrender um mm-hmm. and just just stop trying to control things out of this anxiety mm-hmm. and i have a question for you what, you're obviously a very deep thinker and, you know, well-read and there's Buddhism, Stoicism um, and, and many more things as well. What started you down that path? This is Dan's yeah. question. This is Dan's question. I'm about you, Nick, so shut up for a minute. Very interesting that you asked that. There, there is something um, in, that, in that book I told you about and you kind of brought up the simulation. I uh, spoke about David Cass, and he he talks about the Matrix, which at one point um, um, Morpheus says it's like a splinter in your mind, you know that that you can't get out. That there is something there is something about reality that you just that seems like there's more to it than what is just appearing, and I guess that's the the closest way I can maybe explain that from a very young age and my, my dad said to me, I don't really know where you get this from. None of us are really like that, which I would call him, frankly, because <laughs> he, he, you know, he took, he took some philosophy and, and mum's definitely into it as well. But, but there is something, there, is a, there was a feeling from early on, very early on, uh, that there, there was more to reality than what I was seeing. And that led me from a very early age. I remember, you know, it kind of started with those, those fantastic uh, Chinese martial arts movies when, when you're very young and you see the white haired, the white bearded, you know, the Taoist sage characters yeah, yeah. who are, uh, you know, in the forest meditating. And I just remember being like, what is that? And, and my mum kind of came into my room and I'd be sitting cross-legged on the floor and she said what are you doing i said i'm meditating you know and she got how, how old would back. you say how old roughly i think i started watching those movies when i was before i was 10 wow you know because okay. they're not cool that, not yeah. that not that violent you know and and she kind of reports back to me i thought you were just messing around you know what i mean <laughs> and it took and it took a while you know, I did my first. So I was I was mucking around um, like that um, since since that kind of a young age. And I remember asking those difficult questions. My family was Christian, but very not, um, you know, church going, not um, fundamental or very strict at all. And I remember the priest being very, very nice guy. You know, but me asking very pointed questions and just feeling like that doesn't that, that doesn't answer doesn't, anything. That doesn't that, add up. You don't. No, that doesn't <laughs> add up. Um, and so it very much led me on this path where one of my good friends, who was 
um, I did theater from a young age, uh, which is a very interesting exploration into the nature of self, by the way, mm. if you're inheriting, inheriting different characters um, and how we're these composites, we're these constructs in a way. But he gave me, I actually found this book just the other day in a box because I was going through a box of old books and I found it that he gave to me. Um, the the Celestine prophecy. I don't know if you guys. Yeah, remember. yeah, I know that one. Yep. Right. Remember that from way back. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I must have got that when I was about 13, 14, and that started me on the the reading train of oh okay, there's all this stuff. I'm not getting answers from anybody in my community. Nobody seems to to know what I'm talking about. And although I felt like oh the martial arts movie, and I sat. I was not sure. Okay, uh, I'm sitting. So, what's this meditation thing about? <laughs> what am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, and then, uh, you know, I got Zen mind, beginner mind. There was all that, and that started this that whole exploration. And I was very lucky. At um, I went to the Theosophical Bookstore. So fast forward some years, um, and I tried to go to some. Uh, kind of evening meditation classes and that didn't really seem to stick much I, d- I tried the martial arts too because I thought that was a bit of a an aspect um, but I but I love people too much I don't, <laughs> I don't like you know I, I wanted uh, to be a ninja yeah oh don't don't we all you know very cool but then you remember American Ninja and they do stuff like this and then oh. they disappear into the background he possessed great skills. You remember this? It's great. It's I loved all those. I loved all that. But uh, but I still didn't really feel like I was getting it. And um, and I went into the Theosophical Bookstore. I think I must have been 18, 17, 18. Is it still there in uh, near Flinders Street? Uh, Flinders Street Station was just around the corner from there. I'm not there sure. in Melbourne. I haven't bumped into it. Mm. And, um, and I just found the right clerk because i was wandering around and was like wow so many books and they're all about meditation and kind of anything from really traditional old school through to like um new agey sort of stuff and i turned to one of the guys and i said i said what's what's a great book on the, just the truth, the, the truth. fundamental truth behind everything, you know? And I was just like, I think I was intense. I was just intense. Like, I was like, tell me. I need to know, you know? And and he kind of looked at me. I think, you know, kind of got this glint in his eye. So it's like, right, yeah. Okay. I can feel you, bro. I feel you. And he kind of led me down and he said, a lot of people been reading this one for a long time. I reckon this guy's legit. This guy's for real. And that was I Am That by Nisargadatta Maharaj, which he actually died the year I was born. So, you know, that had been around for a while. Um, And his tradition, you know, I would say that any true master is beyond tradition, but his tradition was Advaita Vedanta, which is non-dualism, which is what I said to you, Advaita Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vedanta, not not two, one, not two, um, which is a funny way of putting it, but we could go into that later. So, so I guess I'm answering your original question, and, I, and then I hit, then I hit, I guess, a point 
um, one of my big shifts was um, going and doing uh, an SN Goenka nine day uh, retreat. I guess it's 10 days, nine days of sitting, Vipassana meditation. And I would still recommend, I would be, I would be conscious who I recommend it to. I would say if this sounds like something you would like to do, because it requires um, nine days of silence, you know, and they have some ticking boxes of how, how do you feel about doing this? And, mm. and you know, uh, so you need to check in with yourself. We're all mature. Not everyone's cup of tea. Not everybody's cup of tea. Exactly. And you've got to find your own way. But as far as a, a fundamental sitting practice, that's a great kick you in the butt. And that's that's what we teach here. And for me, that was the final piece of my jigsaw puzzle. Everything sort of just fell into place after that 10 days for me too. And it mm -hmm. was, yeah. I recommend it to everybody though, because <laughs> I just yeah. love seeing how people how people encounter and experience it. And some pull yeah. the pin a couple of days in, but I love that. Uh, what happened? Well, I guess I was... yeah. I guess we're all robust, and we can. I I've just heard people talk about it in a, you know, that that they kind of didn't recover from the experience, and so that's why I tried really? to qualify it a bit. Just that they it kind of um, yeah. That it shocked that it shocked them, uh, kind of to be in touch with themselves in that way. Um, I think it's yeah. with any any intense experience, you know, if, if someone hasn't laid some, it doesn't have to be strong, but some foundations, like it's people to, you know, now going and you know, because it's it's trendy to go and do ayahuasca or psilocybin and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If people do it mm -hmm. and they've got a lot of trauma and haven't got any foundations and done any, you know, grounding work, then they can find themselves mm -hmm. in trouble. And I imagine of a pastor could possibly be a similar experience. I would I would well, say I would equate looking for those experiences with psychedelics as a similar you're looking for something that you could look down the meditation train or you could um, go down the kind of psilocybin route or those sort of other traditions. Uh, but that certainly I don't know about much of the, the traditions behind those. But one thing I will say about the meditation traditions is that they're ideally you're held in a very supportive environment where you're told to be non-reactive to the stimulus that's coming up. You're you're taught to be equanimous yep. and that there's a discourse that, at the end of every day. Mm, and that and that not all of the time, but uh, to a certain extent, uh, in my own experience, you are ready to experience the experiences by the time you get there. You're not, you know. You're not letting off a fire hose of kind of uh, psychedelics that just kind of like blast this whole Look thing on you your up. mind, right? Uh, that you weren't ready for it. Um, but everybody has their own. Everybody has their own. Everyone's path. got their own path. Yeah. Well, one of right. the reasons I got you to sort of describe kind of your path a bit there, and I'll get your recommendation. But I think a lot of people listening to the show are kind of in the process of making a shift in their life. You know, mm. they're, they're starting to think differently. They're starting to feel differently. They're starting to show up differently in their life. They're starting to take the keys to their happiness back. And a lot of them are starting to look at like, 
what directions do I want to be, what do I want to be researching or reading or what paths do I want to be going down? So I always mm-hmm. like to get some sort of recommendation. And you might've mentioned it already because you've mentioned quite a few books, but is there any, any, any books or reading material or any resources that you think would be helpful for someone who's maybe just starting out on the path? You're the clerk Excellent. in the Theosophical Bookstore now. And, I, and, and, and I'm the little 10-year-old ten, ten or 14-year-old going, I want the truth, the ultimate truth. Between I, I, the eyes. I thought you were going to say, like, he led you through a secret passageway and down a hallway. Oh, would that be great? On the candlelight, you know, the Holy Grail or something. <laughs> Come here, my uh, child. Like in the, in the case. Indiana Jones. Know, going down there. Yeah, 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 totally. Love it. The, the um, book has to I choose love... you. Oh, oh, nice! It's like the Sorting Hat of Harry Potter. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, there is absolutely. I, I have many books that I recommend. I would say if you have an interest in, um, you know, Nick said he responded to Vipassana. I certainly had a good experience with it. If you feel a resonance with Buddhism, I would, I would uh, start off with. The Science of Enlightenment by Shinzen Young. It's a great foundation. It Perfect. explains Buddhism. is a is a, a Western uh, Zen Buddhist, so he understands the Western mind, which certainly makes sense to me. He was a practicing scientist, so he's very clinical in his thinking, and it gives you a great basis to what is any any teaches it even though he's zen he teaches vipassana um as his as his beginning tool that is a great program you can get it as a written book or you can get as an audio program if you're more into the audio books um i would say if you have less of a draw towards a sitting practice and more of an embodied um practice um and are exploring different new options that are not necessarily part of a an ancient tradition. Perhaps you've had experiences with the religions. Perhaps they rub you up the wrong way. Uh, this sense of God or framing doesn't work for you. Uh, an embodied um, way of coming at the practice, I would suggest Radical Wholeness by Philip Shepard. Radical a, um, Okay. Yeah. And uh, he's a... Yeah, he's a, a mixed bag of all kinds of stuff and he's looked at all kinds of traditions and then kind of come to a really embodied presence approach that is him, similar to Nick, it's him building an approach based on his experiences. So it's only him talking about what he has found and what has worked for him. Love and it. I would say that that is a really good place to start for an embodied practice. And the book that I read, if you're into, uh, you know, Nisargadatta Maharaj said, I take my final stance where I do not even know I exist. Now, there's a bit to unpack in that statement. <laughs> if, so you are, that. if you are into, uh, for lack of a better word, because all words are metaphors, nothing, no words are absolutely truth. And, you know, the classic Zen statement or Taoist statement of do not, uh, do not be fixated on the finger that points to the moon. Mm. Yeah, it's the moon we're talking about, not the finger. 
So don't get messed up with the language. But if you're into no self, transcendent, that kind of what I spoke about when I was like, give me the truth. If that's kind of where you're kind of at and you, and you have that kind of yearning, then I would recommend to most uh, Western readers the, um, the book that I said from David Kass, which is The Perfect Brilliant Stillness as a perfect place to start. He recommends all kinds of other um, authors on that topic. So you can find a hole and get your teeth into it there. And Excellent. for me, what was my fundamental, where I started was the I am that from Nisargadatta Maharaj. But I would oh. say that that is, has more barriers to entry right, than, okay. than the perfect, brilliant stillness. You, you sh should be able to understand what he's saying straight off the bat. You can get it in a book. You can get it in an audio format once again. Fantastic. I told, you, I told you, didn't I, Hass? I told you. Yeah, we, have to do, <laughs> we have to organize a part two. Ah, <laughs> uh, part two. We've been going on right. a little while. I know that's not the fastest hour and twenty ever. But uh, I'm, I'm I'm thinking we need to organise like a monthly. Each bring a bottle of wine, sit down. Oh, oh. now we're, now we're talking. Now we're talking. We've got, we've got two hours. Of, we'll bring our bring antidepressants one. and we'll go for it. <laughs> you, get, you get to bring one philosophy each to the table, and then we have to sit oh, there and nice. unpack it. And, yeah. Oh, let, let us know, listeners, if that's going to be good. But I've, I know that I've had a bloody great time talking with you, Dan, and I'm, I'm so happy to have met you today. Another, another like-minded soul on the journey. Um, fantastic, mate, oh, and it's great thanks, to, to connect, even though time. we're we're from the same homeland, we're on opposite sides of the world. And um, thanks, Nick, for the intro. Yeah. And um, listeners, you'll be hearing from Dan again, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Just, just to, just to finish, I, I think. Um, you know the expression "you can't have your cake and eat it too." I, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's true because how I, else? I always hated that. Cake, it, how else you meant to eat your cake if you don't actually have it? Mm. Mm -hmm. I'll leave you boys with that one. Figure that one out. Mm. I'm going to eat a lot okay. of cake, the Savo, just so I can really think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to research thoroughly. Nice. I got it with th three cakes. Mel's like, what are you doing? I'm like, philosophy, I'm thinking, all right? I'm uh, really delving into the <laughs> this experience delicious. Nick is talking about. <laughs> so true. Uh, thank you all for listening. We love you all. We'll see you all next week. Peace out. Thank you for tuning into the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.